0: Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. You know, I'm not, uh, I don't follow horse racing, but whenever a horse uh, starts getting in the running that could possibly win the Triple Crown, Oh, that gets my attention and I pay attention and kind of watch that just because that's that's an amazing feat. In the 140-plus years of the uh, Triple Crown races, only 13 horses have ever actually won it. And um, probably, in fact, just two years ago in 2018, a horse uh, won the Triple Crown. And what's so difficult about winning it is that each track is different and the race are different links. And so it takes different kinds of horses, really, to to win those different races. And so for one horse to win all three is pretty astounding. Probably the most famous one was Secretariat, who in 1973 won after they'd been a 25-year drought of winning uh, the Triple Crown and Secretariat uh, actually is the fastest horse yet uh, uh, on record. Her uh, his record has not been broken, and uh, so it still stands, still holds the record because uh, he was such an amazing horse. But here's an absolute truth about every single horse uh, from horse racing, and, and especially those who won the Triple Crown. They were broken horses, not crushed but broken. And because they were broken, they learned to trust the jockey, the one who was riding them. They would learn every little direction that the jockey would give, uh, every little twitch, every little movement. Uh, The horse would know what to do because the horse had been broken and uh, had learned to listen and had learned to follow and to follow the direction and thus ultimately the potential of leading to victory. Well, in the same way, that absolute truth about the horse is something that God desires for us. And God's desire and God's ultimate purpose is to break us as believers of our self-will. Not to crush us, but to break us of our self-will And to break us of our independence so that we're not independent of him. And so that the purpose for is so that we will be useful to him and for his purposes. And and so as we talk about the life in the spirit, as we talk about how the Holy Spirit uses this thing called brokenness to get us to that place that we can actually fulfill God's purpose for us. God's purpose of why he even put us here. And so brokenness is a process that he uses not to crush us, not to destroy us, to put, but to put us in that place where we're, we're broken of that self-will, that independence, I want my way, I don't care what it costs. And last week we talked about how the different phases we go through, I want to do what I want, I don't care if it's wrong, I want to do what I want, I don't care if it hurts me, I want to do what I want, I don't care if it hurts somebody else, I want to do what I want, and I want you to accept it and I want you to celebrate it. Well, God wants to break us of that so that we are then in a place we can fulfill his purposes for us. And here's the deal, that's not something that's selfish on God's part, but rather it's a blessing on God's part. Because when you and I fulfill his purpose for us, that's where we find the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest sense of uh, purpose and belonging, and that's where you and I actually, we're at our best because we're being who God's created us to be. Now, a verse I want us to look at, which is an incredible verse. It's all-encompassing. In fact, you might want to call it the Believer's Insurance Policy. And uh, it's in Philippians chapter four, so let's, let's look at this. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. Wow will supply all your needs. And he'll supply all your needs from his glorious riches. Not yours, because you don't have any. He's going to supply all of your needs from his bank account. And it is, you talk about unlimited, it is unlimited from his riches. And then he says, which have been given to us in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. So here's the deal, because you're a believer, you've accepted Christ in your life, you now have access to God's riches and he uses those riches to supply all of our needs. So let's, let's back up from that verse a minute, make sure we understand it. First of all, the source. The source is from a personal God not some impersonal force, but rather someone we actually can have a relationship with. And, um, and so this source, this personal God who actually says he wants to be our friend, as a result of our relationship with Jesus, he promises that he will supply all of our needs, financial needs, our mental needs, our physical needs, our health needs, our relational needs, He's aware of those needs. He's aware of what you're going through right now. And because he is caring and because he is capable and because he is consistent, he wants to meet those needs. When my children were born, Mary and I took on the responsibility that uh, we were going to feed, clothe, shelter, protect, help them to grow emotionally and spiritually. We took on that responsibility. And then a day came where they moved out of the house and they began to take care of themselves and now they both have children and they're doing the exact same thing. Well, with God, once you become a child of his, he permanently promises to take on that role. He promises to meet our needs for the rest of eternity. Now, that's pretty amazing. Amazing. And uh, and the and the, so the source is from this personal God, uh, God, and the scope of it. He will supply all your needs. Let me tell you what that includes. Everything. Now it doesn't say God might meet your needs. It does not say that God hopes he can meet your needs. It doesn't say God will get around to meeting your needs. In fact, there are some people who actually misuse this verse. Uh, You know, when you have something happen at your house and uh, maybe some catastrophe happens, one of the first things you probably do is, uh, or you have a car wreck or anything like that, one of the first things you do, you call your insurance guy, right? And you want to know, am I covered? And, uh, and the most dreaded thing you can hear is, well, if you go to your policy, down in the small print, item number 3JK-4, <laughs> there's an exclusion. And, and, you know, that's the worst thing you can hear that, yeah, we cover everything except this and uh but you you know we, i mean mary and i you know we have insurance and then we even have this umbrella policy here at the church we have that we have insurance for everything but then we have this umbrella uh, policy that kind of covers everything in case there was a big disaster well here is the footnotes in this verse there are two footnotes that are very important to understand first of all This verse does not include the consequences of laziness. The consequences of laziness. 2 Thessalonians, here's what it says. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. So here's a command in Scripture. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Wow. Wow. Now, he's not talking about people who are invalids. He's not talking about people who physically cannot work. He's talking about people who choose to not work. And he's saying that's laziness. And so because of their laziness, there is no obligation to meet those needs. This is something good for the government to read. And and so God is not saying, yeah, I'm going to, Whether you want to or not, you don't have to work if you don't want to. I've heard that said by some politicians, but those unwilling to work, the Bible says they shouldn't get to eat. Now that'll be a great motivator to get up and work, right? You get hungry. So you get up and you go to work. So this verse in Philippians means we don't cover laziness. Um, You know, we, we help people all the time at the church. And, uh, when people come in, I mean, one time a person came and they said, they're about to cut the power off at my house. We need help and said, yep, we will help you. Let's sit down and talk because, uh, this most likely is an ongoing thing. And so we want to figure out what's going on and why is this occurring? Because otherwise 30 days from now, you're going to be in the same boat, right? And so one of the things that we do, we have them to bring in all their bills, and we sit down and we go over it with them. We help them to come up with a plan. So, you know, we, we don't want to just fix a little problem and then walk away. We want to get in and help figure out what's going on. And, and so this individual brought their bills in. And this was years and years ago. Um, and so they, they brought their bills in and we were going through it. And we found this cable bill for over $150. And we picked it up and we said, here's your electricity bill. This will pay your electricity. Oh, I, I can't get rid of that. Well, let me tell you what happens when you lose your electricity. Guess what happens? This doesn't work anymore. Unless you hadn't figured that one out, we're dealing with a whole other set of problems. Uh, but but when, you, when you don't pay your electric bill, this doesn't happen anymore. And, and then we started digging a little deeper and started realizing, yeah, she, she had a husband, and he's just stayed at home all the time. And he's got to have his HBO and he's got to have all the premium channels and that's why his his cable bill was so high. And I said, well, is your your husband an invalid? No. Uh, Has he got a physical problem? No. Is he disabled in any way? No. Um, He just doesn't want to work. I said, oh, we got this. We're not paying your electric bill. You know, I think the way I said it was, we're not going to pay your cable bill. I don't want you to pay my cable bill. I want you to pay my electric bill. Well, don't you see? If I pay your electric bill, I'm giving you the resources that allow you to divert money to pay your, your cable bill. And that's just not being a good steward. Plus, you got a lazy husband. And he needs to get up and get a, get a job. In fact, we'll help him get a job. And so... We were trying to be gentle but at the same time not violate Scripture and try to get them in the place they really needed to be in. Now, obviously, we weren't going to let her suffer because of her lazy husband. You know, We made sure she had food. We made sure she was taken care of. But the Bible is very clear about this. So God's not obligated to take care of you If you're just a lazy bum, plain and simple, He will respond to your hard work. There's a second exemption. This does not include, this verse does not include your wants. It says, God will supply my needs, not my wants. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot of wants. Do you? I mean, there's a lot of stuff I want. And, uh, you know, it says God will, God's going to provide you shelter. God's going to provide you food. That doesn't mean he's going to give you a gift certificate to a five-star restaurant every night. That doesn't mean he's going to put you in a mansion on the, on the lake. I, I mean, God says he will meet your needs, but he's not obligated to meet your wants. So I've got to make sure I understand the difference between needs and wants. So I just needed to clarify that. In fact, James chapter four puts it this way. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives were all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So God This verse in Philippians, there are two clauses to that, laziness and wants. I've got to make sure I understand that. Now, I want to jump into the main thing I really want to focus on. This is the good stuff. And that is the promises that do come with God's faithfulness when we go through this thing called brokenness. Here's what I can always guarantee on trust and believe in. Because God is faithful, and he is, he always is, I can count on him to keep his promises. I can count on God to keep his promises. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, let us hold tightly, so grab hold of this, hold tightly, without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. I am so thankful for that. You know, I I don't know about you, but, um, well, I do do know about you, because I am you. So when I know about me, I know about you. And we have a voice that whispers to us from time to time, and those are lies that are often whispered to us. Satan, the father of lies, the inventor of lies, told the very first lie. He loves to whisper in your ear at just the right moment and tell you that God will not keep his promise. Uh, You know, maybe about your salvation. Now, a lot of you are, are traveling this journey this year with walking through the Bible and reading through the whole Bible. My guess is... Even though we've been, only been doing it for 20-some days, you probably, probably have already missed a few days, right? I have. And, and maybe in your quiet time when you're praying, there's probably some days you've missed. I have. And, and so Satan wants to whisper into your ear, hey, guess what? You messed up. Don't count on God to do anything. Well, that's just a lie. You see, God promises to keep his promises. He's faithful to keep his promises because of who he is, not because of who I am. And I I like that. In fact, that goes along with the second thing. Because God is faithful, I can count on him to keep his promises even when I am unfaithful. 2 Timothy says, If we're unfaithful and you and I at times are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. For him not to be faithful is for him to deny that he is a faithful God and he is always a faithful God. So I can trust God's promises even when I mess up. I can trust God's promises. So because God is faithful, I can count on him to keep his promises even when I'm unfaithful. I, I don't know about you, but there have been some t- times in my life where I wasn't walking with God like I w- should be, and, um, and Satan would whisper a little prayer, or not a, say a little word in my ear, not a prayer, a little word in my ear and say something like, Don, if, if you died right now, I really doubt you'd go to heaven. You're just not living the way you should. So if you died right now, you probably wouldn't be going to heaven. Have you ever heard that lie told to you? Did you go through a period when you were kind of in a dark place and maybe you even doubted your salvation or you wondered? And I want to tell you, if I thought that was true, I'd never leave the house. I mean, what if in that one instant of disobedience, that happens to be when I die, and then I don't get to go to heaven? Well, that's based on a lie. That's not what scripture teaches. You see, me going to heaven is based on what Jesus has done, and and me going to heaven is based on the Holy Spirit living in me, and it's based on the fact that I prayed to receive Christ, and then that became a sealed deal, and, and it's done. It's a done deal, and it can never be taken away. That's, that's God's promise. I'm sealed for the day of salvation and so are you if you're a believer. So I'm glad of that. Now, I'm not suggesting go and do what you want so you, cause you don't have to worry. That's a whole nother set of problems. But what I am telling you is you can trust that God is always going to keep his promises because of who he is, not because of what you do and do not do. That's good news. That's real good news. Because God is faithful, I can count on him to keep me going. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, Now may the God of peace, now follow me on this, make you holy in every way. Who's going to make you holy? You? I don't think so. God does that. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body, which is your entire being, be kept blameless. Any of you got the capability of making yourself blameless in every single way? I don't think so. Until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. God's the faithful one. And he says, if you're a believer, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to keep you blameless because of what my son has done for you. And you have accepted that. So here's what this verse means. You can never, ever lose your salvation. Only holy and blameless people get to go to heaven. And the only way you qualify under that one is through Jesus Christ. And when you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, he made you holy and he made you blameless and God keeps it that way even when I'm messing up. So how does that happen? Well, that's easy. I'm in Christ. And when God looks at me, he sees his son Jesus. And he's pleased with him. And God put his holy spirit in me. And he sealed me for my day of salvation when I get to go to heaven. And so when I arrive to heaven, it's God's spirit taking me into those gates and said, "Here's one of your children." And God sees Jesus, because I'm in Jesus. God's promise is that he will keep you holy, he will keep you blameless, so that you will never lose your salvation. That's a huge promise. Man, I'm so thankful for that promise right there. Man, because God is faithful, I can count on him To not only keep me going, but to give me strength and protection. The Bible says, but the Lord is faithful. And notice how this, in all these verses, it gets back to God's promises and God's faithfulness. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Praise the Lord. The evil one. You know, your enemy is not somebody else sitting in this room or somebody out there that you work for. The evil one is Satan himself and his crowd. And the Bible says that he will strengthen you, he will give you strength, he will will guard you from... Here's what it means to guard you from the evil one. If anybody wants to take away your salvation, it would be Satan. He would love to take away your salvation. But he cannot do that. The only way he could possibly do that is if he could defeat the Holy Spirit. That's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. But that's what would have to happen for you to lose your salvation. So God promises you, Satan cannot touch your soul. He cannot take away your salvation. Now, you may lose the joy of your salvation because of your dumb decisions sometimes, but you will not lose your salvation. Does that make sense? And it's because of who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is and who the Father is. And so God has promised, listen, when, you are, when you're in battle with evil, I'll strengthen you, but you've got to rely on that strength. But I will guard you. Satan will never be able to touch you. He cannot take away your soul. He cannot take away your salvation. Praise God for that. So, my lapse of judgment from time to time, my sinfulness from time to time, cannot cause my salvation to go away. Satan, in all of his power and devilish and and his lies and his abilities, He cannot make my salvation go away. The only person that can make my salvation go away is God himself, and he says that it's not gonna happen. I've paid a huge price for your salvation. You belong to me. And I'm saving you for the day I'm gonna take you to heaven. So God gives me strength and protection. Now, because God is faithful, I can count on him number five to help me overcome temptation. He tells me in 1 Corinthians, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You and I are all in the same boat on this. We all have temptations. Here again, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. In other words, He has given you what it takes to say no. Now, if you choose to say no, that's on you. You can choose to say yes. You can choose to follow into that temptation and, and do whatever you're tempted to do. You can do that, but it's not because God has let his guard down. Because here's what God's promised to do. He'll not allow more temptation on you than what you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. It's kind of like when a jockey is riding one of those broken horses, and if he's kind of in the middle of the pack, he's looking for avenues to get out of the middle. He's looking for a way to get to the front, not to be blocked out by another horse. And, And so he just gives a little nudge here and there. To give that horse a direction which way he wants him to go. And that could be the difference between winning and losing. Here's what God promises to you every time you're faced with a temptation, there's always a door that says exit. And God's Holy Spirit will always point you to that door. but you have to decide to go through it. And the longer you wait, the more likely you're going to yield to the temptation. There's always an exit door. The Holy Spirit will always point you to that door. But you have to choose to take that door. Number six, because God is faithful... You can count on him to forgive you when you mess up, to forgive me when I mess up. Let me think the last time that happened. Oh, it was just like this morning. I mean, we mess up all the time, right? We think thoughts we shouldn't think all the time. We say things we wish we hadn't said all the time. Sometimes we do things we shouldn't do. We mess up on a regular basis. And here's the deal. God's faithful, and I can count on him to forgive me when I mess up. Now, if you ever wanted to tattoo a verse on your body, this would be it. 1 John 1, 9. Put it right here so you can read it a lot. But if we confess our sins, guess who's faithful? God. He, God, is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Now it's really important that he put the word just in there because he's a just God. So, here's what that means. God's a just God. And he looks at you and you mess up big time or little time, you mess up. And the just God says, you deserve punishment. In fact, the cost of sin is death. You deserve death. That's the cost of sin in the Bible. And I'm a just God. And I require payment. But because I love you so much, I let my son pay it for me, for you. My son paid that price for you. I didn't just skip over your sin. I didn't just wink at it. I didn't ignore it. But because I'm a just God, I required a price. And because I'm a God of promise, I sent my son as the Messiah, as permanent payment for your sin. So yep, you deserve to pay a price, but you don't have to because Jesus paid it for you. And so my promise to you is, I will forgive you every time you mess up. You don't have to run away and hide from me because that's typically what we want to do. We're embarrassed and we just, we don't want to talk to God because we're embarrassed. We kind of stay away from God because we're embarrassed We avoid certain people who ask the hard questions because we're embarrassed. But God of the universe says, you can always trust me that when you confess, I will forgive. And not only forgive you, I'm gonna cleanse you from every wicked thing in you. And you can trust that. You can always trust that. That's a huge promise. And because God is faithful, I can count on that. Well, one last one. Because God is faithful, I can count on Him to be my friend. That takes it to a whole nother level. First Peter says so, if you're a suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. So when I commit my life to God, I'm simply giving back to him what he created. But sometimes we suffer, sometimes we suffer for doing the right thing. And, and when we suffer for doing the right thing, that actually pleases God. Because we're willing to, to do the hard stuff. I got a phone call just yesterday from a family member. And wanted to catch me up on one of their kids. Who's um, you know, a grown adult, has their own kids. Very, very successful has a great job, makes lots of money, does, just an amazing person. And um, they were in a meeting this week with the head of the company and a few other executives and started talking about something. and started talking about taxes. And finally, my family member said, you know, what you're talking about it's called tax evasion. And we can't do that. That's, that's against the law, what you're talking about. The next day, my relative got their notice. Was immediately let go. And I'm sitting there thinking this. Wow. There's somebody you know, they're a strong believer and they just now suffered for doing what was right. And that pleased God. Because they were willing to stand up for what was right and it cost them. How do you think God's going to respond? I think God's going to respond in an amazing way. I I think God's going to show up in their life in a big way and they're going to, Look back and say, I am so thankful that that happened. God really protected me in what in the moment seemed like a very bad thing. I I believe God's going to be faithful. I have no doubts about that. So when you suffer for the fact that you're a follower of Christ... And not because you sinned, you've done nothing wrong, and it's simply because you're bearing the name of Jesus, well, Christ suffered, and he did no wrong. And that means you're suffering with him. Now, that's a great identity. Jesus said it this way, there's no greater love, and he used the word agape there, which means that all-in love, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you a slave, because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You know, Abraham was called a friend of God. Noah was close to God. Moses was close to God. So, man, there's three guys right there, pretty amazing. They were very close to God. They were friends with God, but it was different. God, so here's Moses, here's Noah, here's Abraham, but God was over here. And they had to go to a place to talk to God. God for you is right here, in you. It's right there, in you. So you see, you're closer to God than Abraham ever was. Because God couldn't live in him because he had not been cleansed of his sin by Jesus yet. But you have. And so God lives in you. And you talk about a friendship. That's an amazing friendship that you've got. That's so cool. You know, I find that so often our friendships, it's, it's amazing how delicate that is. If you had been born six months earlier or born six months later, chances are your friends would be very different today. It's because you'd be in a different grade in school maybe. Or if you lived a few blocks from where you live now, maybe your friends would be very different. Or if you went to another church, maybe your friends would be very different. I mean, my lifelong friend, who I did his funeral a few years ago, we were the longest friends I ever had. We were friends since we were three years old. And it was purely because we lived right across the street from each other. And we stayed lifelong friends. I tend to look at God as the master of ceremonies, not just luck or happenstance. That God orchestrates friendships for us. Here's something that C.S. Lewis said that I thought was really amazing. He says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even a pet, an animal. Wrap up your love carefully with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock up your love in a safe, in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, in that safe, in that dark, motionless, airless place, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. It will become impenetrable. It will become irredeemable. For to love is to be vulnerable. God chose to be vulnerable by loving us. And for you and me to love someone else is to be vulnerable. And I want to encourage you that you choose to be vulnerable. That's how you make a difference in this life. In fact, I think God brings brokenness in your life so that you can impact other people's lives in a better way. Some of the strongest friendships I see, it's amazing how many of them come out of life groups. Um, I met with a couple uh, last week, 26 years old, I'm doing their wedding, and uh, he grew up in Gateway. He's still a part of the life group he was in, he's been a part of since middle school. They still stay in touch with each other. They still meet once a year to get together. They still challenge each other. They still stretch each other. Because they're willing to be vulnerable with each other. Uh, This picture I'm gonna put up on the screen. Um, This was a a girl in our youth group when Mary and I were in Charlotte. And uh, she was an amazing individual. Uh, Her name was Susan Bailey, and uh, Susan grew up in our youth group, and uh, she was in a life group, and I challenged them to find somebody to be your prayer partner. And I said, every day, you know, before you go to school, call each other, just talk on the phone for a few minutes, and pray together before you go to school. And so she had a prayer partner, and they did that all through middle school and all through high school. They did it all through college. They did it all through their adult life. Every day. Susan, um, her and her, I got to do her wedding. Her and her husband went into ministry, and then she got breast cancer. Um, She went through all their treatment and went into remission. We were all happy. We were all praising God for it. And then it came back. Now, Susan was one of those individuals, sweetest person you ever meet. When you talk about somebody who never said anything negative about somebody, that was her. And I have to admit, I got a little mad at God. I said, God, of all people, if you need a substitute, I got some people in mind. (laughs) But she's in ministry. She's got those three precious kids. And it looks like she's not going to make it. But it was amazing that in her death, how much incredible stuff came out of that. And her suffering brought so much impact in other people's lives. I I drove up to Charlotte, um, this was just a few years ago. I drove up to Charlotte to see her one last time. I, I saw her the day before she died. And as I was walking into the hospital, her middle school life group was walking out. You know, so I was there, all their youth minister, uh, all of those kids, and I said, wow, it's so great seeing y'all. And uh, they said, yeah, we, we just left Susan's room. I said, oh, how'd it go? She said, they said, we sat around and sang youth camp songs. That's what we did. Because that's how our friendship started, was at youth camp. And I thought to myself, here's a life that's been broken and brought tremendous glory to God, used by God in an amazing way. And all these girls were willing to be vulnerable with each other And so, yeah, it was so hard to watch their best friend die. But it made them better moms. It made them better followers of Jesus. It made them better wives. Hmm. God's made a lot of promises. You can go to the bank on every single one of them. Let's pray.